Alrighty, friends, we are back. Your favorite podcast show of the week. It's Location Weekly. It's episode number 560, and we are recording on March the 15th. Um, Abriana, how are you? I am good. It's uh, We've had some beautiful weather yesterday and today, so I got out for a run yesterday. It felt like amazing just to, I don't know. I feel like spring is actually in the air after a couple of days of like wintry mix. It was just so nice to have like a 50 something degree day. And I think it's going to get to 61 here in New York today. So, um, you know, that like just gives me happiness and an extra hour of sunlight as well. (laughs) How are you doing? Yeah, no, kind of the same. Like uh, it's been kind of getting you know, incrementally warmer up here in Toronto as well. I think they're projecting on Thursday, this Thursday, it'll be 17 Celsius, um, which is unusual and kind of weird because it's St. Patrick's Day as well. Um, So 17 on the 17th, but you know, something's happening there anyways. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely getting warmer, but it's in that weird sort of in between, right? Where you have like a few weeks of where it's really messy. Like, you know, you've got like leftover, like soggy ground and muddy this from the snow and that, and then rain and, you know, like it's just, yeah, it's, um, but it's, it's good. Spring's on the way. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're, we're in it also an interesting COVID uh time as well because almost all the restrictions are now gone as of next monday there's no more masks here either so um things are wide open and yet i'm reading the news this morning and i'm hearing about you know china's in full lockdown again and you know europe's cases are rising rapidly uh, since they relaxed the restrictions and yeah so who knows who knows where we're going to be right or how long that's going to last but uh yeah, and then of course you know there's uh, all that's going on in the Ukraine right now, and you know just so many desperate people and really sad to watch. So um, yeah, and on a happier note, we were just talking about baseball. baseball. <laughs> that baseball is coming back. That's awesome for both yeah. of us who love baseball. Um, and we were just talking about where Freddie Freeman's going to go, and I'm saying hopefully Toronto, so because he's not going <laughs> to the Braves. So <laughs> anyhow. I know it's sad. It's going to be very weird watching the Braves this season without without him there. He was such a staple. So, anyways, anyways, we've got a good show. So let's jump into that. Four stories as usual. Abriana will kick us off with uh, an interesting one. Yeah. So Uber is launching a new feature in their app. It is entertainment booking. Um, so to me, this very is very reminiscent of like the Airbnb experiences. It's called Uber Explorer. Um, And this is a new feature within the app. So users can just browse and book things like dinner reservations, live events, you know, activities that are in the area. Um, So there's a new tab, it will be the Explorer tab and there'll be different recommendations. It can be based on categories like food, drink, art, culture, nightlife, uh, music, all those different things. Um, and so they also have this tool where you can just put like right there now and go ahead and just navigate directly there. Um, and it also has this data play, which is interesting where they are going to be suggesting different experiences based on past use, um, of Uber eats and the Uber app, I guess, like where you've been and, and have gone in the past. 
Um, there are some offers that users will get so they can get 15% off rides up to $10 um, and to restaurants and bars in the area. So they're also building this in like for the payment um, profile piece of it. You can obviously just book right there uh, through your Uber wallet and that payment profile that's there. So it's interesting. They've got this available in 14 cities, including like Atlanta, New York, um, well, I should say upstate New York anyways for now, and Mexico City is even included in that. Um, but they're going to be adding more cities, experiences, and events over the next coming weeks and months. So, um, you know, I find this very interesting. Like I said, this reminds me very much of like what Airbnb does, but Airbnb is more of like I'm planning a trip in advance and I want to kind of explore what kind of an experience I could potentially have when I am there at a destination. Whereas this is very much like what's around me. I want to hang out with friends or like we're, you know, kind of bar hopping or like looking for some type of entertainment, a comedy show or something like that. So what's around me that I could easily get to. And I really do like this feature because I find that, you know, it's hard to kind of have this um, curated view of things that are interesting to you, especially when you are in that discovery mode. And it's very much in line with like, I'm in an Uber, I'm going somewhere, uh, you know, where should I go? Or I am somewhere and I want to go somewhere else. Um, and keep, you know, having a good time with friends, like what else is there around that's happening. So I, I do think that it's very in line with um, the search and discovery mode that sometimes people are in when they're using the Uber app. So I think that this is a great and exciting new feature. I like it a lot. Um, I also like the ability of, you know, Uber Eats has been primarily like driving people um, well, driving food from the restaurants and new restaurant uh, trials and experiences to people's homes, whereas this is actually driving people to the restaurant. So I think it's further driving business back into places. Um, but now we're talking about going beyond just the restaurants and probably into more, like I said, like music, comedy, um, you know, other events, maybe it's like the zoo or wherever. So I think this is a really um, interesting feature. Um, so that's, that's the main story here. There's a side story, you know, some announcements on Uber and just kind of what they are doing in uh, Russia and Ukraine. And they have, you know, paused some of their operations in nine cities across Ukraine right now uh, where it operates. And they are trying to speed up the sell of a stake that they have in a joint taxi venture that's in Russia. Um, and it's, um, it's a joint venture that they had with the internet search company Yandex, which is Russian, obviously. And they're just removing all of the Uber executives from the Yandex taxi board as well. So they're having a non-executive representation that's going to oversee the rest of, of this divestiture and, and just trying to think kind of like wash their hands of, of what's going on and, and move on. Um, so, you know, interesting that it, you know, there's just so much impact in, in what's happening so far away from us, but it, you know, it's touching so many people that we know. So, um, you know, an exciting story. And then one that's just can't believe it's reality. Right. Yeah, for sure. So overall, I, I like this story too. Um, I think it makes perfect sense for them to integrate these types of offers and experiences into what they're doing. You know, uh, just over the last few weeks on, on the show, we've been talking about, you know, somewhat similar things, Yelp starting to integrate, you know, different types of offers into their platform. We talked about Ticketmaster starting to, to, to integrate, you know, 
search and discovery within that. You know, to me, that was less exciting because I don't go to Ticketmaster to look for stuff typically, right, as, as we had suggested. But I think in the case of Uber, this makes a ton of sense, right? And I think, you know, the idea of, you know, I find an experience and then I'm taking an Uber to get to that experience and I'm getting a discounted ride, you know, that you know, combination or that bundling, if you will, I think makes a, a ton of sense for me. Um, you know, the, you know, commenting on what you were just saying about the sort of pull out from Russia, you know, the other side of that discussion right now is the impact that, you know, this, this war is having on fuel prices. And so when you think about Uber now in that context, you know, what does that mean in terms of increased costs, you know, for drivers and fuel and, and all of that? And how is that ultimately going to impact the cost of services like this or the ability to discount um you know experiences um that that'll be interesting like so far i don't think we've seen a, a big shift in in increased prices but that's coming right and you know there's you know i think for any type of transportation or you know um service like this i think you know, we're going to have to watch that really closely. I know, you know, you and I, you know, typically travel a lot for, for work and obviously some of that's rebounding now and there's already warnings, you know, right now, like book your, your, your airfare, you know, because the, the price of, uh, of jet fuel is, is, is skyrocketing and these airlines aren't going to be able to hold that line much longer. Right. So, um, you know, the cost of, of travel is just, is just increasing, uh, you know, dramatically because of what's going on. So, um, and not only because of what's going on over there. I mean, obviously there's other other factors involved, but I think that, you know, when we come back to experiences like this, I think if you can find ways to bundle things, um, you know, increase the overall share of the, the pie, if you will, from an Uber point of view, you know, I'm getting a, a piece of the experience ticket, I'm getting a piece of the travel to get to the experience ticket and I can bundle that and, and find a little bit more uh, overall, I think it's it, it's good for them, so. Yep. Yeah, all right, uh, moving on to our second story now. So uh, AT&T, uh, you know, stateside here um, is ramping up their 5G coverage. Obviously, you know, a lot of the mobile operators around the world are, you know, uh, moving very quickly to try to build and scale out their 5G uh, networks and coverage, uh, but it's it's difficult. It's costly. They have to acquire sites and engineer the designs and get permits to you know to install that, and often that can take you know 12 to 18 months. Um, and so you know, many of these operators are trying to find ways to kind of get the you know that network, get that infrastructure built faster. Uh, and so AT&T. Um, has teamed up with uh, um, a group called uh, Ubiquia and Ericsson um, around a uh, something called the Ericsson Street Radio 4402. And so essentially what this is, is a, um, a type of uh, transmitter, if you will, uh, that can be plugged in uh, and powered through uh, street lights. And so they're testing right now uh, where they can kind of just, you know, kind of take advantage of existing streetlight infrastructure um, and then kind of, you know, plug in these, these radios into them, uh, typically 8 to 10 meters high, spaced 50 meters apart, uh, using the existing power supply uh, from that, typically in close proximity of fiber, um, and uh, kind of leverage, you know, a, a quicker build-out that way. 
Um, and so, you know, I think this is interesting. You know, uh, when I read this story, I thought back to here in Toronto, uh, one of the interesting things from, you know, it's probably 10 years old now, uh, there was a, um, the, uh, the hydro company, Toronto Hydro, here uh, in the downtown core built a high-speed Wi-Fi network uh, with transmitters that were built into the, the hydro poles uh, as well. So, you know, I think there's, you know, always opportunities when you can think about, you know, how do we leverage existing infrastructure that's already in, in, in a city um, to power additional services or high-speed, you know, uh, connectivity or why, whether that's Wi-Fi or cellular or what have you. Um, I think definitely there could be more of that happening. And it's all about, you know, how do we, you know, find the right radios, the right transmitters, the, you know, the cost, you know, efficiencies around that. But I think this seems like a great way for them to kind of just accelerate their 5G deployment uh, and to do it at, in a fairly cost-effective way. So uh, I kind of like it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, to me, this is kind of um, an, a dated story. I feel like this was something that, you know, when I was still living in Atlanta, pre-pandemic that it was kind of the way of the future, like 5G is going to be everywhere. You know, we're going to install it in street lights um, and having friends who worked across the industry as well. Um, I, I always heard this was going to happen. Um, and then I heard kind of the, the other side of it, which is it is costly. It's never going to be deployed as easily as people think it's going to be like, oh, tomorrow 5G is just gonna be everywhere, no. Um, it needs those short ranges and it needs to have a lot of like access points in essence. And so the street lamps make a lot of sense, but it still requires, um, you know, ongoing things like how do you service those? How do you make sure that they're always working? And, you know, who's going to be responsible for that? Is it the city? Is it AT&T? You know, who's going to kind of be responsible to make sure those are up and working? all the time. Um, and, you know, there were some discovery conversation also around more of like the smart lights and how those light bulbs in essence could just incorporate. So just by changing the light bulb, you kind of incorporate all of this new technology without having to kind of maintain that. Um, so I think there's, you know, there's a lot that's happening. There's a lot of innovation, but it's slow moving and it's also, you know, going to be slow, um, not to, to be ad adopted as, as much as it is to like just be impactful, right? Because it takes a lot of like little, little tiny points. So one to watch, but um, not one I expect to see a ton of movement in really quickly. Yeah. And, and so I, and I like you echo that. I mean, we've been talking about this for a long time, right? And it's taking a long time to, to get this built out. Um, and I think it's, it, it will remain that way for a while. I mean, like, you know, this conversation about small cells and, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, we've been you know, I've, I've been attending conferences around this type of technology for, you know, eight, nine years. And, you know, we still don't see it in mass deployment. So, um, yeah. So, but I mean, good that they're trying and experimenting and, you know, getting, getting something happening. So. There you All go. Right. Um, so this is a, a company that I have not heard of before, but maybe should have. And it's interesting. It's called Narvar, N-A-R-V-A-R. And they are a post-purchase consumer engagement platform. Um, and recently back at the end of 2021, over the holidays, they piloted a home pickup uh, service. So this was, um, you know, they did this across 70 different retailers. So whenever you had a return, 
you could schedule like a, a home pickup instead of having to drive it back to the store. And now as rolling this out, it is carrier agnostic, but it's a home pickup service and um, it's a return service. So it's gonna enable consumers to either drop off returns or have uh, returns picked up for multiple retailers um, at partner locations. So some of these include Mall of America, Simon, Walgreens, Nordstrom, some big time uh, places. And there's also some retailers that are integrating with UPS digital return service. So um, the platform basically enables like a no label and boxless returns of its merchandise across nearly 5,000 UPS store locations. So think about, you know, sometimes when you have certain products from Amazon that you order, you can drop it off at UPS and either show them the label and they print it for you or you print it and just drop it off. Very similar to that, um, there will be a nominal fee for the service. But this in-home returns pickup service is currently available um, at 10 major metro mar markets right now, and they plan to expand this to about 100 in the next few months and, you know, virtually giving them nationwide U.S. coverage. But as some interesting stats they saw based on the pilot that they ran, they saw that this was enabling uh, returns to the warehouse about 25% faster. Um, and apparently Walmart began offering in-home pickup um, for walmart.com purchases as, as part of its like in-home delivery um, this year, just in January, I did not realize that, but also I don't have a Walmart here super close to me. I have to go to Jersey. Can you believe that? Anyways, um, I think that this is really a great service. I feel like there's so many things that I have that I need to return. And then I kind of have that window that passes because getting to the store in person is really hard. And then, you know, finding the time. And now, you know, there has been a lot of like store hours that are, you know, very, very small windows. So I went to return something finally. And, you know, it was like the store closed at six. I'm like, who gets done at six o'clock, you know, on a weekday? So I think this is a great service. A lot of retailers maybe don't have the infrastructure to provide this, but doing this at a, at a massive level um, and providing this service to retailers, I think is amazing. Yeah, so uh, I have heard of this company and uh, in fact, uh, you know, done some, um, some work with them uh, over the last little while. And I, th I think this is a, um, a really great service. I think like, you know, with the growth in online ordering you know, and, um, you know, just the, you know, what the pandemic has kind of foisted upon us here in terms of people, you know, not going out, not shopping so much physically in stores. I think that, um, you know, services like this where we're ordering a lot of things online and, you know, there's potentially, you know, we order five sizes or a bunch of different things and then you got to, you know, handle that returns process. That's the part we all hate, right? Um, and I think if, if that can be made easier and facilitated through something like home pickup like this, I think it makes a ton of sense. You know, uh, and these guys are, you know, they've been around for a while. They've got, you know, very strong connections across, you know, retail, even up here in Canada. I know like one retailer that I sometimes shop at up here called RW and company, um, you know, uses Narvar uh, for their fulfillment and delivery or their shipping process. Um, so, you know, I, I can see this really sort of taking off. Um, and the fact that, I mean, I don't know if the, the numbers are huge, right? Like I was in that article, I was just reading 761 billion in merchandise sold in 2021 is expected to be returned. That's a lot. That's a lot, right? So, 
you know, if you can just tap in uh, into like a fraction of that number, um, you know, and, and whatever your, your fee is on that, uh, you know, that's a, that's a huge amount of revenue. So I, I think Narvar is, you know, certainly well positioned around this. I know these guys, um, I think I first connected with them from through Glimpse, uh, in fact, uh, and uh, I believe they have a relationship between, between those companies. And yeah, so I, I think this is, um, you know, really interesting. And I mean, you covered it all, so I'm not going to add too much more to that. But uh, um, I think it, it's, it's timely and sort of exactly what, you know, sort of the market needs right now when you have so many online orders and so many returns happening. So, all right, on to our final story now. So this is an interesting one. Obviously, you know, there's been lots of conversation these days about the metaverse and virtual worlds and all of that. And so here's a, a new company uh, called Area, uh, just as it is A-R-E-A. And they describe themselves as a decentralized platform for digital assets, products, and services tied to real-world locations, um, but with a Web3 layer on top of the real world. Um, so this is kind of interesting. So they, so essentially, they're selling geolocation-based NFTs uh, that that are layered on top of the physical world. So you're at a place that has a physical coordinates, and then there's an NFT. You know, sort of layered on top of that, uh, that you know, that they're selling, and you can purchase, uh, you know, virtual space essentially around that. Uh, they call this the meta surface, is what they uh, named this layer of digital activity on top of the real world. Um, I think it's it's quite interesting, um, and this is a company that, uh, you know, from a leadership point of view as well, is really interesting. So, um, you know, one of the uh, the key people uh, behind this is uh, is Elia Locardi, who's one of the world's most recognized travel uh, photographers. Um, so they're really thinking about this. You know, as, as I was reading this story, you know, obviously there's lots of discussion about NFTs and lots going on in that world right now. But when I was reading about this and his background in particular, um, the uh, I started thinking about the origins, you know, going back in time in our world of location data, you know, the origins of Goala. And, you know, Goala at that time was also very much about, um, you know, travel uh, logging and journaling and photography and, and, uh, and, you know, all of that sort of sense of, you know, things obviously layered on in the real world, but in this case, you know, photos and imageries and check-ins and all of that. So, in some ways, we've kind of come full circle now, right? Where, yes, we're creating entire new virtual spaces, um, but it's got to be more than just, hey, I, I put on some some goggles and now I can see something else. It's got to be, you know, in their case, the argument here for area is, is that it's, it's whatever I'm experiencing is rooted to something in the physical world. Um, and there's, there's a connectivity between that. So anyhow, so their area NFTs, are, they're selling these uh, in in four thousand packs of ten random areas, um, and then the, the um, yeah. So it's uh, I don't know. It's, I mean, it, I think it's it, I think it's interesting, and um, you know, there's there's already a few applications that they've sort of layered on top of this. So there's one called Light, which is launching in May of this year, um, which is a curated sort of art experience uh, focused on travel and exploration. Um, there's another one that's that's coming uh, as well. I'm trying to find the name of that one. Mm, it's escaping me now. My article gone. Anyways, 
Um, what are your thoughts, Fabriana? So I think this is really interesting. Um, you know, at first I was like how I was trying to understand the implications of the geo and the location when it came to the NFT, but I do think it's interesting. I also think it's interesting how they're packaging it. Like it's almost like trading cards, right? Where you've got like this pack of, you know, you think about when you were little, if you were into like baseball cards or whatever, you went and bought a pack of the baseball cards and hope to get some big name player in there. And this is almost like you are buying this pack of this area and hoping that, you know, maybe there's something, a piece that's there that that is valuable to you or to someone else, you know, one day. Um, so I find that piece of it very interesting. And I also, um, you know, I think about all of the like travel uh, bloggers and aerial photographers and things of that nature that, you know, maybe they've just been selling things on stock photography or, you know, other opportunities there um, or, you know, selling like their services directly. But this actually gives them a really unique opportunity, I think, in terms of that uh, space and time and like all of their, you know, their collections. So um, something to watch and see how it's applied. I'd love to see kind of how it gets picked up. Um, and it looks like it's really early days and, and a kind of a, a bootstrap type of a deal at this point. So we'll see how their team grows, but I could see that this is something that gets incorporated into like the sports, the music, the entertainment NFTs that already exist. And now you've got kind of this travel and space and time. Yeah. Hundred percent. So, I mean, it's definitely like I said. I mean, every week I'm reading now, you know, dozens of stories about new NFTs or brands, you know, experimenting, you know, with these kinds of things. So, I, I think it's you know, it's super early days, and um, you know, definitely, you know, obviously from our perspective at the at the LBMA, you know, we're you know interested in in the in the location and geolocation aspects of how those things are being linked together, right? So, I think um, this this is a uh, you know, a great start uh, to that. I would love to chat with these guys further and kind of learn more about, you know, uh, how they're approaching that and, and the go to market. So, yeah. Absolutely. All right. So that's it for this week. That's our show. Uh, you've been listening and watching episode number 560 of Location Weekly. We thank you for your time as always. Please reach out to us if you have story ideas um, and uh, or feedback. We would love to get that. And uh, we'll see you all next week for another show. Have a great week, everybody. Bye. Oh, 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 oh,